Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of Insurance Uncovered. This podcast is produced by the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies and is your source for insurance news and perspective from thought leaders in the property casualty insurance industry. I'm your host, Kathy Imus, and today we're uncovering new data privacy legislation, how the bill aims to update the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act, and a new incentive fund in Louisiana tries to lure insurance companies back to the state, plus branching out. Branch CEO Steve Leckis tells us how the technology-driven company makes the insurance experience more efficient. But first, a measure to rein in homeowners' insurance rates in Louisiana after multiple hurricanes upended the market has won final approval following a five-day special session. The state will put $45 million into an incentive fund designed to lure companies to the state, giving homeowners more affordable options. The goal is to reduce the number of consumers currently unable to get policies anywhere but citizens, the state's insurer of last resort. State Insurance Commissioner Jim Donilon says he thinks the legislation will allow 40,000 of citizens' 125,000 policyholders to obtain coverage through private firms. Republican Representative Stephanie Hilferty told WDSU this is not a long-term solution, but rather a much-needed measure to get more companies to write policies in Louisiana. But I think without a doubt, um, this is a Band-Aid, okay, and this is, is one piece of the solution, and there's certainly many other things that need to be considered. The regular session starts April 10th in Louisiana and is expected to include a number of insurance-related bills. On Capitol Hill, NEMIC proposed data privacy language on rulemaking and enforcement will be included in legislation to modernize the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act. The bill was drafted by House Financial Services Committee Chair Patrick McHenry and seeks to update privacy standards for the financial services industry. The Subcommittee on Financial Institutions and Monetary Policy will hold a hearing this week to consider draft data policy legislation that includes provisions from a coalition of insurance trade groups led by NAMIC. Senior Vice President for Federal and Political Affairs Jimmy Grandy shared some of NAMIC's testimony submitted for the hearing. With the rapid digitization in various parts of the economy and the monetary value of collecting data on individuals, the federal government has been exploring expansions of consumers' data privacy protections. The insurance industry has a long history of protecting the privacy interests of its consumers. When American consumers share personal information with entities in which they do business, they deserve to know that it will not be used in ways that will harm them. And NAMIC will fight for those rights of our policyholders. The insurance industry fended off a push from an outside lobbyist group to include text that would have included guidance mirroring federal banking regulators, a hard line for most NAMIC members who support state-level enforcement. As the bill heads through a markup this month, NAMIC will continue its work to ensure members' priorities of uniformity, preemption, no private right of action, and enforcement at the state level are maintained. With NAMIC members accounting for more than 56% of the U.S. auto insurance market, the association has long supported vehicle innovations, including the development of automated vehicles. 2023 is shaping up to be one of the more active years on AVs, as we've already seen a half-dozen AV bills introduced in the states and a hearing on Capitol Hill in anticipation of the introduction of federal legislation. 
To coincide with this increased activity, NAMIC recently joined Partners for Automated Vehicle Education, or PAVE, a coalition of industry nonprofits and academics focused on educating the public about the safe use and adoption of AVs. NAMIC's federal and state advocates look forward to working alongside PAVE members to educate the public and policymakers with facts that will inform the future of sound risk management practices for AVs. A new reciprocal insurtech company prioritizes making insurance affordable and accessible for all. Through the use of technology, automation, and data, Branch aims to make obtaining home and auto insurance frictionless for consumers. On today's Unscripted, NAMIC's Neil Aldrich sits down with Branch co-founder and CEO Steve Lekas to learn about how the technology-driven company makes the insurance experience more efficient. Joining me today on the podcast is Steve Lekas, who's the co-founder and CEO of Branch. One of NAMIC's newest members and a new insurance company itself, Branch is is a home and auto insurtech uh, business headquartered in Columbus, Ohio. And unlike other sort of insurtechs, Branch is actually an insurance underwriter and in the insurance business and has a very interesting story. And so as Steve and I have gotten to know each other over the last couple of years of their NAMIC membership, I thought Steve would be a good podcast interview um, and a good uh, learning lesson for the listeners on setting up a new company. So thanks for joining us today, Steve. Thanks, Neil. It's uh, great to be with you today. So let's start right in a little bit before we get into a little bit of the history of Branch. Talk about, you know, you as a co-founder, what got you into this business? How did you get started? Uh, you know, why would you want to set up a new insurance company? All those kinds of things. Yeah, Neil, you know, my story is, um, you know, starts in the stock part of the industry. I grew up at Allstate Insurance. I was there for about a dozen years, claims, tech, underwriting, product making, uh, product management. Um, ultimately, Allstate sent me to eSurance after they bought it, and I had the great opportunity to build the first online home insurance business in the United States. As my family was expanding, I, I took a kind of a, an outside the industry job uh, and went to Verisk Analytics, ultimately became the president of the personal insurance business there, selling data and predictive analytics into the industry. Um, but along the way, as I progressed at Allstate, I had found that, um, you know, many big insurers, Allstate included, had been shrinking for a very long time. And I was trying to figure out how ever did they get so big, because they must have done something that was special to their customers once in a way that was different than they than we were doing. And, and I thought we could probably restart the growth engine if we could replicate that original magic. But no one knew exactly how it happened because it had happened so long ago. Uh, and that had set me on a path to trying to piece together the stories of how insurance companies became big. Uh, and it's hard to read insurance history, not because the material is not fascinating, because it, it really is, but because no one writes it down. Uh, I think because no one would buy it if anyone expended the money to publish it. And so, um, you know, it took me about five years and I, uh, I figured that I understood that there were only two paths to making a big insurance company. And in my part of the world, which was personal lines PNC, there was really only one, and that was to have a less expensive product than your incumbents. Uh, you could couple that with uh, more different coverage, or you could couple that with ease or technology, but the price sensitivity of our market has existed for over 200 years. 
along the same path, while I was obsessed with this question, I'd fallen in love with the mutual ideal, which when I was a stock company, uh, you know, I felt like it was an inherent disadvantage to me because my cu my customer was price sensitive and I had to price in a pretty hefty target for profit. And so what, what I saw was, um, you know, the ability to build a business that inside of the economics of data, I saw an ability to rate make in a new way that allowed me to make insurance instant for the first time. So name and address and then purchase. Um, with that capability allowed me to imagine new business models where I could take cost out of the expense structure with which we make insurance. And then uh, I wanted to bring the original ideal in this country, you know, a very mutual ideal, a cooperative ideal, which was the product itself is a communal good definitionally because we're all putting money in the middle so the unfortunate unfortunate few of us can take a big chunk in our moment of need but there was a value to the underwriting model at the beginning where we each understood that as a part of that community it was our money and i feel like um i felt like i wanted to reintroduce that concept again to allow consumers to pay less for insurance because if they better understood their responsibility to the pool they would use the product more appropriately for its, its intention of preventing financial ruin and draw upon it less, which meant that uh, claims costs would be lower, which meant that people would pay less in premiums. All of that was part of my original belief, but ultimately branch became more known as instant bundled and embedded uh, for people that, that uh, needed a, a mental shortcut. Um, but uh, uh, the roots of branch were very much in the communal uh, or cooperative ideal. Yeah, you and I have talked about, we'll talk a little bit about this a little bit later in the, in the discussion. I know you're kind of a history buff of the mutual industry, and you and I have talked a little bit about that over the past couple of years. Branch is set up as a reciprocal, um, and for our purposes at NAMIC, that we, we call you know reciprocals are sort of cousins to the mutual industry, uh, and, and that's how you structured it. Uh, I know you you spent a little time thinking about whether or not you could create it as a mutual, uh, but ended up landing on the reciprocal model as the structure of the company. Um, it, it was there a you know you bring your new company you've grown uh, is, is is was there a particular issue in the marketplace you were trying to solve with the structure of branch or with the, with branches creation was it mostly about trying to ease the purchasing pro you know issues or was it something else? Yeah, Neil, it, it was a lot of things. You know, structure is really important. You're, you're essentially creating the bones for something that you, you hope lives for a very long time. But um, a few of the problems that I wanted to solve with the structure, one of them is when you are a stock company, um, especially if you're publicly held, if you give guidance to Wall Street at the beginning of the year that you're gonna hit a 90X to 90Y combined ratio, then things happen because we're in the business of risk. And if you look like you're gonna miss your combined ratio guidance slightly, chances are in third quarter, you are throwing every lever you can to avoid missing the guidance to Wall Street because the investment analysts and the investors fundamentally don't understand insurance as well as those of you listening who operate insurance businesses. And so um, as a result of throwing those levers, you cold start growth next year because typically to make a combined ratio lower 
or you're going to turn off much of new business. And and then what actually it culminates in is your members, your your customers in a stock company um, having to deal with what feels like irrational actions of their insurer itself. And so as a solution, um, you know, we don't have to do that in the cooperative business. You know, pr presumably either our members don't understand it enough to recognize it as their capital. And so you have the ability to, to feed them the thing that you think they ultimately want. Um, but there isn't an investor who's asking for an outcome at, at every uh, at every angle. The second thing I wanted to, to create was a much more efficient insurance product, right? If, you know, I, I'm somewhat obsessed with how to make insurance less expensive. It's built into you know, the mission app branch in those words. Um, and you can actually structure the thing. You know, even a lot of the stock companies we know, you know, like Progressive was originally a mutual, right? Uh, and so like, I tried to develop a structure that would make it very difficult to pervert in a future to, uh, you know, milking it for profit. And so like um, the, the reciprocal structure has a couple of really wonderful benefits, but the the chief challenge would have been the regulatory model that's evolved since most of the mutuals were established is really preventative of a new mutual forming in the same way. I mean, if it even if it were just minimum capital requirements, which would require kind of a spontaneous conception of the, uh, uh, the entity, and in mm -hmm. personal insurance, that would mean like, you know, for $5 million at $1,000 per policy, you know, it becomes very difficult to have all those people wanting insurance in that same moment as a community. Um, but in addition to that, the regulators have a, a lot more downside risk when they can't see the investors and how deep their pockets are. So if you just show up with minimum capital, uh, it becomes very difficult to get to the, the, the requisite scale to support the complexity of what the current regs require. Uh, and so if you had any business model innovation, if you needed to be in multiple states, like these things will become really, I think it's impossible, at least in personal insurance, but maybe entirely to form a pure mutual in today's regulatory environment. So for a lot of reasons, uh, reciprocal was the way to go. Um, and it's been, uh, I, you know, I, I remain really excited about it, but it allows us to make this commitment to our membership. and. What, where I took it a little further, or we took it as a team, is we established the attorney in fact, the manager of the cooperative, as a public benefits corporation, which meant that I had to have all of my investors had to agree to be on equal footing with the societal benefit we'd create, which was another way to, to, to talk in the mutual ideal, in the, the cooperative ideal. And then we did take the B Corps, uh, uh, the B Corp certification from B Labs last year as well. All, all of this trying to stitch the elements together to create a long lasting for the benefit of the membership business. Yeah, it's, it's a great story. And, and you you know, it's it's not just, you know, brand, there's a lot of, you know, the quote unquote insure techs in the marketplace. Uh, I think a lot of them have learned that insurance is really hard, and a lot of them have learned that probably what they're offering is not the same kind of you know, branches being an underwriter and other other entities are actually 
you know, providing a service to the industry the way that that has evolved. And that's why I think your story is a little bit unique and interesting uh, as as, turn, as you turn yourself into a insurer rather than just an entity that uses technology to perhaps make the insurance process smoother for customers. Although your technology story is very interesting. So why don't we go there? Everybody in the industry and looking at new ways to lever technology, whether it be in the claims handling process or the insurance purchasing process, varying degrees of success uh, there uh, in terms of its application. Uh, you had the benefit of not having a legacy to live with um, as you started Branch. So talk about how you utilize technology. I know it's a big part of the actual purchasing process, uh, but how you leverage technology at Branch. Thanks, Neil. You know, technology, we don't think about it as much as um, something that's apart from the business. The, the, the solution we offer to consumers is an insurance product or insurance products. And you know, the, the competitive position is that we're essentially the only company in the U.S. that will allow a consumer to bundle and save and choose to have an agent um, or not have an agent or buy through uh, a moment of convenience, each of which poses a different operating expense to the insurer. And so, you know, I think of uh, each of those models being really valuable to a consumer, but what branches technology allows us to do, and then our expertise in the regulatory structure and in rate making allows us to vary the price according to the expense structure of those different, uh, uh, essentially different businesses, though they're, they're all branch. And so we take all of what's normal complexity uh, or as much as we can, and we bring it on our side of a one-way glass. And so we try to expose the key elements um, of complexity that the consumer has to wrangle, which are how much insurance do you need uh, and what is your risk and how can we help you uh, ensure that uh, that risk can't manifest in a, in a financially calamitous way. And so, but that said, like, you know, I always tell people the story. I have a copy of the 32 Sears catalog here at the office. Um, you know, Allstate was uh, started to be sold as a subsidiary of the Allstate uh, of the Sears auto product line called Allstate back in 31. And, um, you know, the original application was name, address, year, make, model. That was the whole app, right? You clipped a coupon and you mailed it in and they'd send you a deck page. Um, and so, you know, what's happened between uh, here and there uh, is that we found signal in a lot of uh, input variables for um, segmenting prospective risk. And so every time we've done that, insurers have had success with it from a, a positive and adverse selection uh, underwriting model, but it meant we've complicated the consumer's experience. Now I have to tell you, uh, you know, how many people live in my household and you have to gather my credit score and like how many incidents have I had? What was my, did I pay my prior insurance premiums? Like all of these things. And so you know, all of that complexity, which is good and useful complexity, we we make that uh, so that the consumer doesn't have to participate in the the data entry part of it. I mean, this is the simplistic version of, of uh, what our technology allows. And by then um, allowing the consumer to transact and think about the complexity they must uh, uh, confront, uh, we allow for really delightful experiences in a way that, um, you know, I didn't know uh, an insurance business could have 
customer reviews as high as ours are. Uh, and so we think about that. We pull that all the way through. I tell people, I get asked frequently how our culture has remained so uh, strong as we've grown so fast. And I tell people what we did that a lot of companies do, I think, well at the beginning. And especially, you know, in my reading of mutual stories, uh, a lot of them had a really strong founder, typically a community leader. And so at the founding story at Branch included us defining the mission. And the mission was like why we're here. It gives purpose to everybody, but aligns aligns them on what to do. And then our mission was to make insurance less expensive so more people could be insured. And then we we designed a brand narrative, the promise we could make to consumers that um, that could support that mission. And we talk about it as it ends in branches getting back to getting each other's backs. And getting back is to that original cooperative ideal and the getting each other's backs is what we should expect of each other within the community and what you should expect of branch on your worst day uh, when calamity occurs. And then we structured our cultural principles so that we could live that mission and that brand and then our members, the community could feel it. It wasn't just something we talked about. And by putting these things together, we've then pulled through this idea of how do you innovate by removing the complexity? Because we we operate a very complex business, and our our membership, you know, struggles to even want to spend enough time to fully understand. I would argue that most insurance professionals don't fully understand it. It's just so complex and so big. We've not all seen all there is, um, and that's allowed us to pull that idea of how do you simplify it and expose the things that um, really a consumer must confront in making risk decisions on their own financial well-being's behalf, um, but in a way that benefits the, the entire community. Um, and so we've tried to structure it and codify it in a way that it can live, you know, without me being here or without any of those of us that were here at the very beginning. Yeah, it's really, you know, it's a, it's a great combination of what we would say would be the kind of the the view of the mutual industry and what it's supposed to be. Now, I will say, you know, Anamic, of course, we have stock companies. Allstate is a member. Uh, we have stock companies in the membership. They do a very good job for their consumers. Uh, but, you know, mutual is in our name, and we we certainly uh, live those values as well. And I think, you know, Branch is really, it, it's it's refreshing to have a new player in the market that also embodies that that mutual background. Uh, Talk a little bit about your growth. Where how where are we now? How how many state you're in? Thirty some states now. I know you've grown a lot in the last few years. So talk about that. We are in 36 states uh, at the moment. Uh, we launched our first state in 2019. Uh, so three and a half years, 37 states, uh, 36 states. It'll be 37, I think, next week. They come pretty <laughs> quick. Um, and. Um, Premium growth has also been very rapid. I think uh, each of the last three years, um, you know, hundreds or thousands of percent year over year growth, uh, which is part of being new uh, and yeah. small. Uh, but, um, I, you know, I always tell people that in all of history, the only way you know if you're special is if you can create differentiated value. And the marker for knowing if you did that or not is that in a very price sensitive consuming environment, uh, you're able to achieve your target loss ratio while growing very rapidly. And, and that typically for a sustained period of time, right? I mean, uh, no one has gone from zero to 
uh, number one faster than State Farm in, in our lines of business. That took them 20 years to do it. Um, but they had no investors uh, except the community. And so like this is a very old model, yeah. um, but uh, shared by many, especially in the cooperative space. You know, it's a little different in the venture backed space you're alluding to or talking about insure techs, um, but nobody goes out with the tagline of insurance is really hard. Uh, so there's a, there's a, a in part a, um, a blissfully ignorant, I think, part of not knowing how hard insurance is, but also part of, you know, you're, you're selling to an audience that certainly wouldn't want to hear that. Yeah, no doubt. It's a, it's a challenging business. Not only, I, I think that, of course, the the actual process of dealing with claims and all that comes with that, but the uh, the regulatory side i think is such a surprise to so many new folks in the in this business it's it's a challenging environment the state system works pretty well but it is not perfect and it certainly has uh, areas it can improve but and your growth rate you may set a new record for the number of states you've been approved to do business in in that short period of time i don't know what the historical record is but i bet you're approaching it uh, to accomplish that and and that that short period of time. Uh, so that's, you know, really well done there. So let's talk a little bit about the last part. One thing we I did want to mention is you've, you've also had this nonprofit that's kind of attached called Safety Nest. Uh, it's a component of the work that Branch does. I know it was, it was uh, the, the, the goal of it was to, to deal with some financial inequality issues. And uh, so talk a little bit about Safety Nest and how it fits into the, to the program here. Yeah, thanks, Neil. Um, Safety Nest uh, is a 501c3 nonprofit that Branch manages uh, and today is the sole funder of. Um, and Safety Nest's charter is to uh, combat the financial exclusion problem of uninsurance in America. And, and, you know, as insurance people, I think we all know that, you know, we've got over 30 million U.S. drivers driving illegally every day. Uh, and it's what's caused us to create uninsured motorist coverages in auto, right? And, and it's not. This is not limited to auto insurance. Uh, it's only most measurable in auto. But the problem that that we wanted to attack was that the good that insurance does is to uh, transfer the risk, a uh, small risk, from each of us individuals. Uh, to the pool so that none of us fell off of our positive life's trajectory. And so if that was the benefit that allowed society real growth, uh, and without it, we see societies that cannot grow, um, then we have to acknowledge that we've we've left a huge community of our population behind. And as insurance people, we do amazing work uh, charitably, uh, you know, our, our investment uh, uh, portfolios are a huge part of, of school levies and, and, uh, and muni bonds. And, um, and so like, but this particular segment has been a really challenging one, potentially forgotten one. But the selfish part uh, of Safety Nest, from my perspective, or, or maybe I should say why there should be so much alignment to solve this problem is the insured premium gets cheaper if the uninsured become insured. So the uninsured benefits immediately. The insured population, which generally, like if you're not familiar with this group, um, you know, if you're pulled over, uh, you may get, uh, you'll definitely get a citation. You may get a license suspension. Uh, if you have um, an accident, 
you certainly can't repair your own vehicle, but you'll also likely get a license suspension depending on your state. Multiple suspensions because you're still going to need to drive to work to put food on your table uh, for your family and, and shelter over your head. Uh, and so um, then you have the potential to be jailed uh, for uh, for driving without a license. Um, you may not have money to post bond. You'll likely have uh, lost wages. And generally, like these things are much more certain or much more frequent than an, an auto accident. But even that is generally certain. Like if you've been driving for more than 10 years, like you've probably had an auto accident. And so like th this community of people is somewhat without. And the idea for safety nest is if we're insurers as that's who we are and what we do and and, and the purpose we have uh, on this planet then we should seek to solve both the problem of not being able to extend to a huge chunk of our uh, american community but then also to make insurance less expensive for those that are in our memberships and so we love that, um, you know, people can understand this. It's a real problem. It's measurable. It's quantifiable. It's real pain. It's just much more layered and complex in solving than I originally expected. I kind of thought, and the way I explained it at the beginning, Neil, is as branch makes insurance less expensive, the bar for inclusion will lower and naturally more will be included, which I think is generally true. What we've learned in safety nest research, we've partnered with a number of organizations, including the Ohio State University here locally in Columbus, to research uh, the problem. Um, but there's a, a group of people who've never purchased insurance. Their parents didn't buy insurance. Their grandparents didn't buy insurance. And so, you know, there's a group of people that claim to not know how to get insurance, even though every third commercial during the Super Bowl was an insurance right. commercial. And so it's, it's not an easy problem to solve, otherwise I imagine folks would have solved it, but the departments of insurance, uh, the state legislators, uh, the, the prison system, the, the, the revenues of the states are affected. Obviously the insured population uh, pays for their own losses from uninsured voters. The uninsured population themselves is largely, uh, insurance is uh, an, a, an opportunity to get above the poverty line that they can't reach or don't know to reach. And so there's a lot of um, a lot of aligned people in figuring this out, but no one looking at it. And so uh, that's the intent of Safety Nest. Uh, I hope to open it up uh, to the industry because ultimately I think this is, uh, th you know, this is what we do. And, and like all of us and, and probably everyone listening to this podcast believes in the good of insurance. Um, because we we do it every day, um, but this is a group that needs us, uh, who who we don't have a good way to pay enough attention to at this moment. Yeah, it's it's I agree, and it's something that the industry definitely has not only a financial interest in, but just broader societal good here. It's something that we could easily begin to whittle away at, although it is a challenging problem and it has been for decades unfortunately. Well, listen, Steve, thanks again for joining us today. Great. It's a fascinating story. Um, I wish you all the success uh, as you continue to grow Branch and uh, glad that you're part of the NAMIC family uh, and in the membership. And, uh, you know, we have a lot uh, that we can learn from what you're doing. And then, of course, I know you always uh, are a student of the mutual industry and are looking for ways to to take that knowledge and and, and factor it into how you operate Branch. So, Great story, uh, great company, great NAMIC member. Thanks again for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Neil, and, and thanks for all of your help and the NAMIC team. Uh, really appreciative to be a part of the community.
And that's a wrap for this week's episode of Insurance Uncovered. We'll be back again on February 22nd with more insurance news and perspective, including an interview with Gamma Iota Sigma Executive Director Grace Grant to talk about Insurance Careers Month and the Insurance Talent Gap. Until next time, I'm Kathy Imus. Have a great day.